So I, I want to start with Psalm 1, because there's something that I think that God led me to that I wanted to share with you, encourage you with. And in Psalm chapter 1, realize that the text here is coming to us, translated from the Hebrew language, an ancient language, and I, I'm familiar with Hebrew. I'm not a, a Hebrew scholar, okay? So I'm not going to be here, you know, going into all the deep areas of Hebrew, but I do have a, um, a good understanding of this particular chapter um, in Hebrew, and, and sometimes knowing it, how it's been translated into English is important uh, because we're looking at an ancient document. I know that all of you spend all the time in ancient documents all the time, right? You know, yeah, it's just, that's what I do in my free time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's why sometimes the Bible is a little intimidating to approach in that way. Um, but Psalm 1, it actually is kind of simple. Look, at it starts out saying this. Blessed, and I'm reading out, out, of, the, out of the Bible in here, and I'll, I'll explain what this, some of these words what they mean to us, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And, and so it starts out with this idea of blessing. Blessed is the, is the person. It's not saying man versus woman. It's using man as a, in a general sense. Blessed is the one who does this. Um, now, have you ever seen in the Bible, if you're, if you're new to the Bible, you might not have ever seen a phrase like this before, but have you ever seen the word blessed in the Bible, um, where someone's teaching and saying, this is what it means to be blessed. Because when I read this, I realized that Jesus had picked up on this theme later on in the Bible. So I wanted to read, for, read to you from Matthew chapter 5. Um, basically, when Jesus came on the scene, he did this keynote message. It was his first big sermon. And we have it, the words of that sermon in the Bible in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. But look at how he starts out this message. I want you to note how he connects it to this and, and realize that this, the Psalms is the worship book for the Hebrew people and the Jews. Like it's been, it's an ancient worship book. So that's how it's going to start. Jesus starts his message by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor being like knowing your need for God. Blessed are those people who know that they need God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you and so jesus is picking up that theme and talking about living a blessed life and so i wanted to start off with us understanding there is a blessed life to be lived there's a blessing in living under the under the instruction of god and look at verse 2 so blessed is this person who is not walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's why we're doing the reading plan, because <laughs> we're actually wanting to be in God's word day and night, just meditating on it, thinking about it. And notice it says, um, in this version, you don't have this phrase, but what, what happens in verse 2 is kind of, it, it turns. In the, in the Hebrew language, you have this word like, on the contrary. 
you know, instead, this person is delighting and meditating on the law of God, on the words of God, rather than standing in the way, doing sinful things and mocking and, and wicked, wickedness, okay? In other words, this person is living differently. They've chosen to live a different kind of life. And we've, uh, up, leading up through this last year, kind of talked a little bit about God as a gardener and that in his life he wants to see fruit in your life and he grows you spiritually. And, and one of the things that, one of the tools that he employs to c- cause growth is pruning. You see, even right here in Psalm chapter 1, verses, just the first two verses, you have a choice. You can either choose to walk in a wicked way or instead, on the contrary, you can choose to walk with the law of God, with, with God's word in your heart. In other words, there, there has to be some pruning happening in our life. Another, maybe another word of say, uh, way to say this is pure, purity. That, because purity really just means to have less, to have less of something. So there's a choice like, I, I want less of this and I want more of that. You know, that is like a regular decision that we have to make on almost on a daily basis. What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Because you only have so much room in your life. There's only so much time. There's, there's only so many things you can do with your life. And you've got to choose. What do I want more of? What do I want to have less of? And if you've ever visited some of the mines around here, well, I went to a tombstone on a, one of those mine tours with the kids. And I, I really hate being in large crowds and doing all these things. And the guy who was giving us the tour is so cool. He was making jokes the whole time, and it was really fun. But basically what's going through my mind is this is a waste of time. <laughs> like, okay, fine. We're underground. We're looking at rocks, and we can hardly see anything. But then when you get to the end of the tour, you, he actually gets to, sh- he shows you silver, like what silver looks like. Has anybody been on the tour and seen it? It's kind of, uh, when you get to that end point, they do the same tour, because now I've done it twice, because each of the kids wanted to do it, and it's the exact same tour every time. Uh, so you get to the end, and there's this big black rock they show you. You can't see anything but this black rock. And it's called, sil- it's called ore, silver ore. And what am- is amazing to me is how much of this ore that doesn't get used, so much of it gets unused, and there's like this little bit that's good. And what a symbol of our life, a symbol of the world right there, is that, again, like purity and like pruning, there's so much choices, so many choices, so much that we could do, but yet there's only a little that actually matters, that's actually worth going toward. So he continues on, um, David writing in the book of Psalms, uh, verse 3 says, that person, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. And in the the, uh, in the NASB version, it says firmly planted, which is a, kind of a cool picture of what's being said here. This person, if you can picture a tree that's firmly planted, that's kind of the word I wanted us to think about today is just being firmly planted. And that's how God spoke to me. when He's talking about that we're still planting a church, that we're still in the midst of that. And we want it to be firmly planted. It means it's talking about living with conviction. Are you firmly planted in your faith? And so it reminded me of another place in the, in the Bible. It's actually at the end 
of Jesus' keynote message. Remember chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew? At the end of that, he talks about you know, a, a, a house being built. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows through on it is wise. And that person is like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So when the rain comes and torrents and floodwaters rise and winds beat a bit against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on rock. In other words, obedience, like he says, those who listen to my teaching and follow through, listen to God and following through on it, you're a wise person because you're building your house on the rock. It's kind of like this, the idea of a, a firmly planted tree that when winds come because they will come, when storms come in your life because they will come, the Bible does not say, hey, you follow God and nothing bad will happen. <laughs> That's a fantasy. And, and really, there is no promises like that in the Bible, but there's not even outside of that. I mean, reality itself should teach us that bad times happen. And sometimes it takes us by surprise, and sometimes it's worse than we ever expected. But the only way you can make it through that is if you're firmly planted or your life is built on the rock. Something more than just whatever you think is going to work best for you. You've got to be planted in God's word and what God wants for your life. Okay, firmly planted. This is talking about resilience. Being able to make it through and weather the storms of life. Have you ever been through a storm before? You ever lost somebody and it tested your faith? Lost something? been hurt in a certain way. The only way you can make it through that is by being firmly planted in God and in your faith. So only to the extent that we're willing to do what we learn are we going to be the church. Only to the extent that we're willing to do what we learn. See, we can get together (laughs) on every Sunday and we can learn a lot, but only to the extent that we're going to actually act on this are we going to actually be the church. We must hear and obey. And that's, there's a book uh, written by James, the brother of Jesus, where that's his whole entire theme of the book is you need to obey God. Like you can hear it, but you got to obey it. He just wrote strongly about this. That's why he wrote so much about this. And another way to put this is asking the question, are you being faithful? Are you being faithful with what you've been given? We've talked a little bit about that this, this last year too. You know, so that's the question for us. Are we faithful? Are we really firmly planted in God? And are we living out the faith that we have? Jesus was the ultimate example of obedience to God. When you read the life of Jesus, you see, uh, you see a man who's obedient to God even to the point of death on a cross. And so it's through his faithfulness that we're made right with God. See, so he set us an example of faithfulness and showed us that that's the most powerful thing you can put your life into. You can lean into that. You can lean into God and lean into being faithful to God. And that goes back to being firmly planted. In other words, a Christian is someone who can say, I am firmly planted in Christ. Christian, Christ is the founding, foundation of the word Christian. Am I firmly planted in Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian. So have you planted yourself in Jesus? Have you thought about that? Are you certain? Are you sure? Absolutely sure. And how do you get there? How do you begin? What's the beginning? And that's why we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> the, Bi- the Bible opens up just saying, 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. 
What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So are you firmly planted in the cross? Now you understand how when God created heaven and earth, he created two spaces, and how the cross brings those two together. How firmly planted are you in understanding that God is bringing heaven and earth together are you firmly planted in the cross and genesis 1 through 11 is basically just a story of how every that everything started good um, people had potential we were basically created as fellow um, fellow creators and fellow multipliers with god but we used that power incorrectly because we used it without god we used it for ourselves and so i th- i'm i'm sure of something else for us for you you firmly plant yourself in Christ, and as Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then notice in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, it's a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water, channels of water, literally, like just places of water all around. And water really is a representation of life. That's what it, what he's, what it means, a firmly planted by the river of life. Jesus once told a lady, um, he's talking to her, and he said that he was the water, that he was the well, he was the river of life. And he said, anyone who drinks this water in, in, a, in a physical well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Firmly planted, by streams of water. And then there's just three promises I wanted you to see in Psalm chapter 1. These are huge promises. 
It says that if you're firmly planted by streams of water, it says you will yield your fruit in season. Or like how the, uh, the New Living Translation says, bearing fruit every season. That you're bearing fruit in your life in every single season that you're in. It says the promises are bearing fruit whose leaf does not wither. And this is huge. It says whatever they do prospers. <laughs> whatever you do prospers. That's a promise. But listen, first you've got to be committed to spending time with God. You've got to be committed to that. And so, will you commit to being firmly planted in Christ and faithful to God? Because if you do, there are promises. He promises that you will flourish. 